Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast. Today is Monday, March 1st. And of course, we're brought to you by Sticks Golf. They're our partners who make awesome, sleek, matte black finisher golf clubs that are affordable, perform to some of the highest standards as well. You can obviously check them out at sticksgolf.com. Use our promo code stadium 99 for a solid discount of already incredibly priced clubs pretty fair uh these things are great nolan he's used them before he compared them to his tailor-made set hard can hardly tell the difference nolan i'll let you do the preaching on that and i mean they're great they i cannot believe it that they were pretty much traveling almost exact same distances as my tailor-made so go check them out yeah, and today on the pod, we got a very special guest. I think we got in touch with you through sort of our last podcast, tweeting out about the best holes or the toughest holes on the course. You responded, and then I'm like, well, we got to get you on the pod. It's uh, Steve Wheatcroft. How's it going? Everything's great, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Steve, I see, I see you got um, your little name down there. It says Steven. Are you a Steven or are you a Steve? Uh, that's more from work, I guess, than anything <laughs> else. So you can call me whatever the hell you want. I'll answer to it. But but let's be honest, isn't every Steve a Steven? Yeah, pretty much so, in one way or the other. Nobody calls me Steven except for my mom every now and then. But, uh, yeah, Steve, Weedy, whatever you want to call me, I can answer to it all. That's what it is. I, that's what I always know Steve as is Weedy. Yep. Yeah, so uh, before we get into how you guys know each other, I guess uh, what have you been up to now? I know uh, you started to slow down a little bit with, with competitive golf. Yeah, so I'm really slowed now. I had uh, about 20 stitches taken out of my ankle this morning, so I'm really slowed down. Uh, oh, but no, about uh, about midway through 2019, I just I was playing on the web and wasn't playing great, and I got two young kids at home and just missed being at home. And uh, I think the grind kind of wore me out. So I mean, I've always been a grinder. I've done it for 20 years out there. And about midway through the year, I thought I was just like, you know, man, I'm just tired, and I'm just I'm beat up, and these kids are getting younger and better, and um and then I kind of struck lightning in a bottle in Springfield and finished second there so I was like all right I got an outside chance here and I think I was 38th with uh what did I have two events to go and I uh, went to San Francisco the next week which is a course I usually don't like and haven't played well at Harding Park shot, what's that or not Harding Park it's uh Stonebread yep Stonebread so I think I played a nine hole practice round on Tuesday and shot five under and then I played a nine-hole pro-am on Wednesday and shot six under. And I was raring to go. I'm like, you know what? Good golf's good golf. I can play good golf anywhere. And I woke up Thursday morning, and I couldn't move my neck. Um, something happened. I thought I slept on it funny or what. And turns out I had all kinds of nerve damage, and I had a shoulder issue that the neck issue was kind of making worse. And I was like, you know what? That's a sign. Um, maybe it, maybe this is the end of it for me. So I uh, I played that week. I tried to get through the second round, and I uh, missed the cut. And I skipped Portland. I just wanted to try to be fresh for the playoffs because I like those courses, uh, especially Boise, where I had won already. In Ohio State, I've had some good finishes at. And uh, it was basically just PGA Tour bust. So I gave it my best, and it just wasn't good enough. And I walked away. I took a disability because I have a torn shoulder. Had a torn labor in my shoulder, and I said, you know what? I'm going to take the disability just in case I want to come back at some point, or you know, I hate the new job and just wasn't for me. Um, and then now I had to have ankle surgery about two weeks ago as well. So we're just going to prolong that disability a little bit longer, but man, it was just time. It was time. And the weird part is I haven't regretted it one bit. I haven't missed it at all. It's just strange, man. I thought I'd miss it like crazy, but I love playing golf. I just, I don't miss the competitive part of, uh, you know, trying to compete against 22 year old kids when I'm 42 and broken down. That is something I've always uh, thought about in terms of like a professional golfer, obviously your dream growing up, you wanted to be a pro golfer. You made that dream come true. So at the start, I figure it's like you get that constant adrenaline rush. But after a while, like, do you think had you stopped playing at 30, you would have had that drive? But after a certain point, you, you just accept that you had a great run, kind of? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have taken uh, – if, if I had tried to quit at 30, I wouldn't have – I mean, I would have come back for sure. Um, but I think now that I'm, you know, older, the game's gotten so much younger. I've got two young kids. Uh, I'm hurt. You know, I got hurt towards the end. I, I got lucky. I mean, I played 20 years and never really got hurt. But, you know, when I came out of college, I had no dreams of playing professional golf. Uh, never thought in a million years I could play on even the web.com tour, let alone the PGA tour. 
but then everybody else that I was playing college golf against was trying. So I was like, you know what, hell, if they're trying it and I've been beating them for four years, maybe I should at least give the mini tours a shot. And uh, so I tried it and I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. I caught my break in 05 at Q school and got through to finals. And uh, I think I finished like 85th on the, the web that year, the nationwide, whatever it was at the time. And I said, like, you know what? I, I just don't think I'm good enough. I'm going to go to Q school and try to get like a full web.com tour card and see what happens. And uh, I ended up getting a PGA tour card. So I shot, uh, I was in like 115th or something going into the, like the last three rounds. It's when it was six rounds. And I shot like 65, 65, 67 to go from 115th to 7th. And I was like, holy shit, now I got to go to the PGA Tour and really get my dick kicked in. Um, and that's basically what happened. But it was a great learning process, man. But it's, uh, you know, that's when I got yelled at a lot when I said I was, you know, done with golf. I had all kinds of friends calling me saying, hey, man, you need to go chase the dream. You need to chase the dream. I said, dude, I caught the dream. You know, I played, uh, I played 14 years on the web and the PGA combined in a row. And you know, I never thought I'd play one event. I played 350 or whatever it was combined. So it was a good run, man. I, uh, you know, I got to meet some great people. I got some phenomenal stories, but it was, it was time. And I, I might still, I mean, I don't want to say like, I'll never, ever play golf again. Uh, I, I probably will go back when I get healthy and play two or three web events a year. Maybe I'll do it this year. Maybe I'll do it next year, depending on my health, but it'll be completely for fun. Um, and if I, you know, cut lightning in a ball and out and somehow won a golf tour, you know, tournament, I would go right back to the office on Monday and, I'd say thanks. That was fun. That was a good time, but I have zero desire to go do it anymore. What, uh, hey, Scott, just to kind of um, give an idea to your listeners, how hard really is it? I know it was hard 20 years ago, and, it, and it, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it was always hard because you're competing against the best in the world. But, like, dude, I don't think people understand how good these young kids are now, how much yep. the game has transformed to where – Tiger, when he came into his, his prime, really drove the eight, nine-year-olds at the time to work out. or Not, not, not obviously when they're nine years old, but to, to grind. And then when they start getting older, the, the physical specimen starts coming in, yada, yada, yada. How hard is it really to be, you know, on the PGA Tour, say, Justin Thomas? Yep. Or, uh, you know, how hard, how hard is it? It's brutal. I mean, I'll be honest, it's uh... – you know, when I got out there in 07, 08, 09, years like that, I mean, I'm competing against, you know, the Jerry Kellys and, you know, the, the median age out there was 34, 35 years old. So, I mean, you were playing against 40, 42, 45-year-old guys week in, week out. Um, and now it's like the median age is down to like 26 or 27 or some ridiculous number. Um, but like back then, you just, when you came out of college, you had to go to the mini tours, you had to try the web.com. You, you know, if you Mondayed in, it was nearly impossible to get a full tour card out of you know, seven starts or whatever you'd get. Um, but I mean, it was really hard back then. Um, and again, I, I think I was just dumb enough that I just stayed out there and kept trying and trying and trying and I could blow off the bad weeks and enjoy the good weeks enough where I just stayed out there. Um, but now today it is so much tougher. And people ask me all the time about the young kids and the Colin Morikawa's, the, the Justin Thomas's, the Jordan Speeds. I was like, you know what guys, those guys were about six, seven, eight years old when Tiger was winning the masters. And Golf got cool in 97, 98, 99. So now all those guys that, you know, like the Brooks Kepkas that would have been playing football for sure or some other big, you know, basketballer, those are the guys that are all playing golf now. So they're taking that same mentality with their fitness and their, you know, the, the health and the regimen, you know, all that stuff. They, they take that into golf now. And that just, uh, you know, I was never a big fitness guy. I'll be honest. I just, I hated going to the gym. I hated working out. You know, I do some stretching and stuff like that, but I was all about going to the steakhouse with Coke rack and having too many drinks and a nice, you know, big old steak and just enjoying myself. But now these kids, I mean, hell, they go in there in the morning, they're bench pressing before they play, they play 18 holes, they hit more balls, then they go work out with their trainers again. They got chefs cooking them food. You know, they're flying net jets everywhere and good for them, man. They're, they're obviously, they earn it, they kill it. So they deserve every bit of it. It's just, uh, the game's changed so much in the last 10, 12 years. You mentioned the, uh, you mentioned the Tiger era. Um, that's kind of when, what got me into golf. Um, I mean, I went on have a pretty decent junior career, played collegially and kind of got burned out trying to play professionally early and knew it wasn't for me, but it's, it's, it's true. Tiger changed again in golf and what we've seen the last couple of weeks, it's sad and, uh, our condolences go to him and his foundation, his family and everything, uh, associated with Tiger Woods. He's, he's done a lot for the game. Yeah. I mean, Tiger's transformed the game. I mean, everybody talks about Arnold Palmer, what he did for, 
the marketing side of golf and how he started to make golf cool. But I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And when you look at what the TV revenue did, what the, the purses did, what the, you know, the off course endorsements did. Um, I mean, it was ridiculous money and it was just, I mean, golf was booming from, you know, probably 2001, 2002 through 2000, maybe 10, the endorsement money was ridiculous. You know, I tell people all the time, I was my first year on the PGA, I was a nobody and had no business being out there. And I think I had about $315,000 in endorsements before I hit a shot. And then my seventh year on the PGA tour in 2018, I couldn't get a club deal for 50 grand. I went to, you know, Titleist, Callaway, TaylorMade, whoever it was. I said, hey, look, I can, you know, I'll play some of your clubs, all your clubs. Let's let's work something out. Um, and I, I literally couldn't get a deal. So um, it's, it's crazy how it dried up. But from what that money did and how much money they would pump into the sport because of Tiger and because of, you know, what he brought to the table. That's why uh, I said what the players should have done. I've been preaching it. You should all collude it. And every single year you let Tiger win one. Yep. Just to keep the hype. You'll just make keep, way just, more money. Yep, bump those majors up. If you got a three-shot lead with one to go over Tiger, you tank it on the last hole. You six-putt on purpose. I don't care, but just keep the money coming in. And, I mean, you could tell, like, when Tiger, you know, had his his issues down there in Orlando and all the controversy that came with it, the, the sponsorship dollars after that dried up completely. And it's and it's not because it wasn't – golf wasn't good. I mean, we guys like Rory McIlroy and, you know, Jordan Spieth and all these guys were bursting onto the scene, but – the TV revenues just weren't where they were before when Tiger's winning every week. And, you know, some people said golf was boring when Tiger was winning every week. I couldn't agree. Couldn't disagree more. I thought it was phenomenal trying to figure out how the hell he was going to win every week. And he usually did. It's hard to win once a year, man. And to win multiple times. I know uh, our Tiger, uh, our Tiger Geiger over here, the uh, Mr. Nolan is Tiger fan of the world. Uh, he, Put out a stat the other week. Uh, what was it, Nolan? How many percentage of his wins in 98 was it? 99? Oh, like 40-something, 40 43% or something. Like, he had a stretch stretch there where it was like 43%. <laughs> Could you Nuts. imagine right now if somebody called you and said, hey, look, next major, um, I'm going to give you one guy or the field, and yeah. you'd have to think about it? Literally. Literally you're like, oh, man, I kind I can't do it. I got to take him. And that's that's basically what it was, and it was a fifty-fifty shot in the majors for a, a you know a seven-eight-year stretch where I'll give you Tiger Woods or you can have the field. There are one hundred and fifty-five other guys in the U.S. Open, and you're probably going to take Tiger. Yeah, yeah, I think the lowest odds. Wait, I looked it up a couple of weeks ago. I think the lowest odds I ever saw was like one point five to one, and it was like the two thousand PGA or something for a major at least. Yep, and he still won anyway, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Too good odds. They're making it too easy. Ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. But, hey, that's why he was the GOAT, man. It is what it is. Steve, did you ever ever have the chance to, you know, interact with them or anything like that, play with them? I know I've heard stories of of players, you know, not in contention maybe on a Saturday, and then they, they ask their caddy, hey, what do I need to make on this last hole to like drop down so I get to play with Tiger on Sunday or something like that? Have you? I've actually done that part a couple of times where I'm like, hey, take a look at the, you know, I could be like 30th or 40th, and I'm telling my caddy, I'm like, hey, take a look at the leaderboard on your phone. Let me know if Tiger's anywhere near us. Um, I mean, never got worth it. You sacrifice like a thousand bucks to go hang out. With oh, I wouldn't care less. Yeah, I mean, you, you, they said, hey, you're gonna lose 10 grand. I'm like, that's fine. This is gonna be worth it. I just need Cost to play way Tiger more to hang out with him for a day now. Exactly. So. Uh, no, honestly, as long as I was out there, I never really had any interactions with him um, on the golf course. Uh, I wish I had, but I just never got that opportunity. Now, now granted, he played a little different PGA Tour schedule than I played. Uh, he wasn't running through Puerto Rico and uh, Bermuda and some of those events where I was stuck playing. He was playing majors and WGCs and the big boy events. Um, you know, we had lunch a few times together just because, you know, like Pat Perez is a good friend of mine and Pat and I'd be sitting there having lunch and he'd just wander over and sit down with us and but it was just a quick, you know, hey, man, nice to meet you and a couple of those things. But nothing uh, – he was one of the guys that I never really got to play with. He and Rory are two guys that I really wanted to be paired with. And, you know, I got a bunch of rounds with Phil. And I got a bunch of rounds, you know, with Ernie and Justin Thomas and Jordan and all these other guys. But, you know, Tiger and Rory were two that I always looked up to and loved to kind of watch them do their thing in person. Yeah, so before we move on to the golf this week, though, I wanted to talk – for people who don't know too much about your career – you won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour. But I got to ask you, 
June 2nd to June 5th. Was that the greatest four rounds of golf you've ever played? Yeah, probably 100%. It's kind of hard to say no to that. Um, I knew I was playing really good golf. I played a, um, a round of golf here at TPC Sawgrass with a, a buddy of mine. His name is Josh Scobie. He's a kicker from the Jaguars. and He's a good golfer, though. But we had this little grudge match planned where it was myself and this other young kid against he and his buddy. And uh, we'd been talking crap for weeks. And we went out, and I ended up shooting 63. And I ended up – I finished 3-1-4 on the stadium course. And I called my hole in one. Uh, I was joking around. He was like, hey, man, can we, uh, can we press? We want to double press. And it was on 17T, the island. And I'm like, dude, you can double press, triple press, whatever the hell you want. Because I'm going to be the first guy ever to go 3-1 here. So I'll take any action you guys want. And it was just total trash talking, having fun, like just boys being boys. And uh, I'm standing over the shot. And I see something moving behind me. So I back off. And they're like, hey, man, if you're going to call your shot, we got to get this on film. I'm like, fine, whatever, man. So I hit this shot. As soon as I hit it, I knew it was good. And I just said, I hope you fucking hit record. And sure enough, the thing lands like four feet behind the hole and starts coming back. And I raise my club up in the air. And truth be told, I thought the ball had already gotten past the hole. But then all of a sudden it disappeared and we went absolutely nuts. Uh, it was one of the coolest moments ever. And we got it on film. Does it get any better than that? No, it, it doesn't at all. Uh, it was one of the coolest moments ever. And, you know, you can explain it to people and it sounds great. The video is phenomenal. Um, but it was just like one of those moments. And then ironically enough, like three days later, I think it was, I left for Maryland and I knew I was playing great golf and I get there and I shoot like 66 the first round. And I just remember I was mad. I was angry. I was like, I left out, I left shots out there. Like that was actually, it should have been 62, three, four. And, and then the next morning I went out and I was the first group out and I shot 60 and I had a putt on the last hole for 59. It was like a little 20 footer straight up the hill. And I'd been putting it so well. And I just, I knew that it was going in, but I had to put it through like a foot of the fringe is all. And I saw it kind of skid out of the fringe and I just started walking because I knew it was gone. It wasn't going, it wasn't going to go in and it ended up missing by like an inch, but I just knew that it was enough off that line and I had the line down and that wasn't going to, it wasn't going to go, but that's how dialed in I was. And so I took a seven shot lead into Saturday and I was just terrified. And I just said, you know, I've never won before. I got to try to make this as big a lead as I can. So I just, cause I'm going to completely shit myself on Sunday if it's close and I don't want anybody to think they have a chance. And I shot 65 on Saturday, took an eight shot lead. And then I got off to a good start. And then this is funny. This I always, people always ask me about how mental golfers are. I was playing with Nick Thompson and we're on the 13th hole. It's par three. And I hit it left up on the hill. He hit it to like 40 feet. I stub a chip and I have like 20 feet for par. He makes the 40-footer, and I remember standing, like, putting my ball down, thinking, holy cow. Like, I started getting nervous. I got, like, a flush feeling. I was like, if I miss this putt, my lead's down to eight with four holes or five holes to go. And I literally got nervous for a second, and I kind of – I picked my ball back up, and I almost, like, smacked myself in the face. I'm like, if you can't get an eight-shot lead home with five holes to go, you don't deserve to win. Okay. And I made the 20-footer for par. I think I parred 14 and then birdied 15, 16 and eagled 18 to win by 12. So You, you actually a beat another a friend of the podcast, Ryan Armour. We should have asked him, like, oh, yeah. how'd he blow that one and not being able to pull that off? The pressure. Oh, Rhino. Rhino. Rhino's one of my That's favorites, man. We traveled a lot. 30,000. Yeah. What's that? It's at odds in Vegas uh, on the 17th hole for Ryan Armour winning that. Minus, or, uh, sorry, plus 30,000. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Rhino's one of my favorites, man. We played mini tours together. We used to throw four of us in a room playing mini tours, and he was one of them. And uh, so it's kind of fun watching him come up. He was older than me, and we played. You know, he went to Ohio State. I went to Indiana, but he's uh, he's one of my favorites. One of the uh, was it the was it the Monday Q info guy, or whatever the you know the guy on Twitter yeah. throws out all those stories. He put something out a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, and it was you know, hey, Ryan Armour shot such and such, shot seventeen under, and he ended up losing by twelve. I'm like, what shit is about me? And uh, but I forgot he was in second place. I just remember I played with Nick Thompson, so I think he ended up finishing third or fourth or something like that. But yeah, it was cool. It was uh, it was a great week, man. You you eagled the par five, I guess, at the end. And I was yep. thinking as soon as I saw it, all I could think you'll notice I have a lot of crazy golf ideas that like for fame and all sorts yep. of bad ideas. But they were mentioning how Victor Hovland, how he made that eighth, and how he won. Like how few people make an eighth and win a tournament. Did you not yeah. have any thought on the last hole, like, what if I make a 15 on the last hole? You'll still win by two. Or you'll still win. That's a good point. 
No, I literally, um, I just remember I was having fun with it. I was trying to enjoy it because I was kind of business like there through 14, 15, 16. And then I lipped out on 17. I hit a good one on 18. I knew I could get home. And I mean, yeah, I couldn't. I mean, if I duck hook it 60 yards out of bounds, like I could get this thing home from there. And I had so many friends and family that all drove in or flew in, whatever it was. And um, yeah, we just, we had a blast. We were, we were having a blast walking up 18. And um, the funny part is somebody had told me, they said 31 birdies is the birdie record. And I don't know why. Somebody told me that the day before, something like that. So I was doing the math in my head. And so I hit it in there to whatever it was, 25 feet for eagle. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to break the birdie record. And sure enough, I made the putt to screw up the birdie record. But I took the record. I beat Leishman out of the, the biggest winning margin. So I'll take it because that's that one still lasted today. And nobody's won by 13 yet. So, so far, so that's good. That's crazy to win by 12. You don't see that ever. No. Ever. No. When, when do you see someone win by four or three? No, exactly. Every tournament yeah. now is a one-shot win. Yep, exactly. And that's that, that record could be around for a while because, I mean, I know everybody's getting better, but that's just the thing. Like, second, third, fourth place has gotten better, too. It's not just the guy who's going to win it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 trust me, I'll take it. Tiger can have his 15-stroke win. I'll take my 12-stroke win. And I'm <laughs> a conversation. Yeah, so uh... – with that, let's get into the golf a little. What happened this week? I mean, it was a crazy week. We spoke about the Tiger stuff a little. And uh, Colin Morikawa, what an incredible performance by him. When it was after Saturday, I was a little worried. You see, he bogeyed the both part fives on the back nine. You're thinking, oh, he, he would have been up by four or five strokes, I think, going into Sunday. Then yep. he bogeyed the first or bogeyed the second part, the third. You're thinking he's going to blow it. And then all of a sudden, he just plays incredible golf from there on, wins by three. Yeah, kind of hard to screw it up with a golf swing like that. Um, I mean, he is just such a good iron player. that, And that, that course obviously needed precision, uh, whether it was, you know, getting the ball in off the tee, just getting it in play, and then you had to be so precise with those iron shots because if you miss it by four, five, six feet on the wrong side, all of a sudden you're looking at doubles and triples. I mean, there was train wreck after train wreck out there. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I mean, that kid is just so good. and. I mean, shit, he's won three times in the last, what, six months, yeah. including a major and a WGC, and it's, he's just unflappable. And, again, that's it goes back to the, the new era of golf because any time before, if there was a 23, 24 – what is he, 24? 24. 24. Yeah, 24. So, I mean, if there was a 24-year-old winning a, in a major and he was tied for the lead with a few to go, you knew he wasn't going to get it done. And now it's the exact opposite. It's like, I don't see any way this kid loses. Yeah, um, one thing I noticed a lot different now, I don't know, you guys give me your opinion if this is, if you think this is true or not. I used to find a couple of years ago, whoever would win usually had an incredible putting week. Like they play great and have a yeah. great putting week. Now it seems like some of these guys, like Morikawa, not a great putter. He just gains 10 shots on approach, puts yep. on average, and he seems to win every time he does that. I guess like it's skewed, right? When you're hitting it so well with your irons, they're hitting so many greens, and you're hitting it close a lot of the time, and you're gonna miss some putts, right? So it makes it a lot. You see? Yeah. Yep. Adam Scott made a living doing that. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. That's the way the game's going now. It's a ball striker's paradise. I mean, if you got to hit it as far as you can, and uh, just hit good iron shots, and you're gonna make enough of those putts. But I mean, guys like me, I mean, I made my living on chipping and putting, and I can get it up and down with the best of them, but it meant nothing after a while. And that's why you haven't seen Zach Johnson up there near the top of the leaderboard in a long time. And guys like that, because that's – unless you're hitting it 315 off the tee, it's just hard, man. It's – you know, they're they're hitting four or five less clubs into every hole. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's – I'm trying to get the flags with five irons, and, you know, Dustin's got a nine iron in his hand. I'm like, I can't get at that flag with a five iron. He's spinning the damn thing back. So it's just, I don't know, man. It's, I, I was never long enough to begin with. I was always straight and I could putt, but it's, uh, they've, they've, they've changed the game so much now with course length and things like that, that it's, uh, I don't know, man. It, it just wasn't fun. You ever hey, see uh, any of the, the upsies now? Do I know You ever see any of the talk of them rolling the ball back kind of thing or changing distance somehow? Man, I don't, I don't know what the answer is anymore. I mean, they've maxed out the clubs and the ball's still going further than ever. I think a lot of this is just fitness and they're going to have to realize unless you throw it like the 1997 Balada ball in everybody's bag that, um, you know, where Bryson, when he, you know, he's swinging at 200 miles an hour and if the club face isn't perfect, that thing's going 60 yards right. Um, Yeah. The thing I found interesting about that idea is 
A, um, I mean, it's more like to protect the courses, right? We can't just keep making these courses longer and longer and longer. We're going to run it's out not of the answer. real estate. Yeah. Um, Dude, but yeah. You can make a short golf course really tough. That's what it is. Right. It's, it's, it's firm greens and rough. Because if the yeah. greens are firm and you're in the rough, you cannot hold a green. And then you just have to try to get it up and down everywhere. And you're not going to be making birdies if you're doing that. That's, I just – they don't – like, for some reason, they just don't get it. They're just like, no, lengthen it. Let's make it 8,000 yards. Well, you know what? That plays right into their hands because I'm not going to win ever on an 8,000-yard golf course. But it's Brooks and Destin and all these – I mean, you look at Beth Page. Beth Page is the right. easiest gambling week of the year if you're into golf gambling because you can eliminate 85% of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I thought I mean, this week was perfect. I thought the course – I love seeing this mm-hmm. course. I'm just seeing the chipping. These guys – you got to see the skill more because I feel like sitting at home watching them drive the ball 350 yards, like, you know it's incredible. You're just yep. like, you accept you can't do it, and you're just like, almost like, how come they don't hit even more in the fairway? Like, or yep. like they're just swinging so hard. But the chipping is where you realize these guys are incredible. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable how they were getting up and down around there. But I love that, uh, was it, the 12th hole, the drivable one? Yeah. And you just keep seeing guy after guy just snipe it into the trees and make sixes and sevens on this short little dinky hole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's doesn't have I to be long. Bryson, every time, every time the drivable par fours get to Bryson, he can't help himself. Yep, exactly. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll tell you hey, what. Steve, before we go any further, uh, a guy I know, I think, was one of your uh, last caddies, Dan Urban. Oh yeah, yeah, Danny. Dan Urban. I don't know how you guys know each other, but uh, Dan, Dan's a good dude, and I think that's when we played with you in uh, Savannah. I don't know why that just rang a bell, but it came to me. Yep, that was in 2019. So, yeah, I had a um, – I went to the first Bahamas event, and I had a friend of mine caddying for me that year. And um, it was my last year playing. I didn't – you know, my guy from the PGA Tour that I had for years, I just said, look, you stay out on the PGA. You need to keep making the good money. I don't want you – you know, I'd love to have you with me, but it's not fair. Like, you go make some good cash. And so I took a friend of mine to the first Bahamas event, and I missed the cut, and I was sitting at that little oceanfront bar just having some drinks like I always do on Saturdays. And um, these two guys that worked up at uh, – Oh, God, what was it? Really good golf course outside of Baltimore. Um, Caves Valley. So two of the yeah. guys that were working at Caves Valley said, hey, look, you know, we heard that you might be looking for a caddy. Do you have somebody for next week? I was like, honestly, no, I don't. If you got somebody, you know, let me know. And he's like, oh, this is a guy named Dan Urban. He's, you know, caddies with us up here. We love him. He's a great guy. He's been itching to get out of here. I was like, you know what? If he can make it to the Bahamas next week, he's got himself a, a gig. So, um, so yeah, he, he did a good job. He worked hard and. I told him uh, the next week, I was like, hey, look, if you want to work again, we'll do it again and just kind of see how it goes. And it wasn't, you know, there was no promises there. It was more of a, you know, I'll give you a week here. I'll give you two weeks there. And, you know, he did a good job. Then we kind of split ways towards the end of the year um, in Denver. He he fired me for Eric Barnes. Um, so I kind of hodgepodged it the rest of the year. I had a buddy caddy for me in Omaha. And then I played terrible there. And I showed up uh, in Springfield. And I went home and I was like, I just need to clear my head. And I went home for five days and swam with my kids every day. And I literally showed up to Springfield 4.30 on Wednesday afternoon. Hit balls for 20 minutes, putted for 20 minutes. And my caddy I'd never met, he was a local college kid. Um, I told him, I just called him. I said, meet me at 6.15 in the morning. We're the first group off. And ended up finishing second, which, I mean, I felt, I mean, obviously I loved finishing second, but I felt bad for Danny that, you know, it worked out the way it did. And I think Barnes missed the cut that week and he missed a big payday. But no, Danny's a good dude. He's a good guy. It's uh, dude, golf, and it's. Uh, I mean, people look at caddies and players as uh, you know um, friends and stuff. A lot of my friends, and you know, you guys get along and this and that. But at the end of the day, it's business, and it's business decisions. Whether it's good or bad, or smart or not smart, it's it's business, and that's just what it is. Yep. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I always had good caddies out there. They were always friends of mine. And, um, you know, the guy that caddied for me basically my last four years on the tour, 15, 16, 17, 18, he literally picked the driving range of TPC here. Um, and we were friends just from that. I always used to try to hit him with, you know, stinger four irons, and he'd just laugh at me and keep trying to talk <laughs> me. And uh, he told me one time he just wanted to, hit, you know, get a chance to get out there. So I took him to the web event in 2013 in uh, Valdosta here. I was like, hey, it's close. You don't have to pay for housing, you know. I'll give you one week. That's all I'm going to give you. Just don't get any, you know, expectations, but I'll at least try to help you get out there and introduce you to a bunch of people. And, uh, I mean, he was so raw. He asked me on the first, I was like, so 
these numbers in this yardage book, like, is this to the middle of the green? I'm like, oh, hell, what did I get myself into here? But it was kind of like a, a project for both of us. Like, I'd tell him about stuff, but I never had to tell him twice. And he was a great listener. And sure enough, like, he ended up staying on the bag all year. And we ended up winning in Boise. And I'm like, all right, dude, you lucked out. You're going to the PGA Tour now for the next, you know, year at least. Right. But, no, I think it's a it's a huge thing. you got to have a caddy that you enjoy hanging out with. I mean, you spend – I mean, I spent more time with my caddy than I did my wife. Right. Um, right. So, and you better be able to get along. It's a relationship. Yeah, yeah the, not to – go backtracking but thinking about the um rollback of a golf ball right yeah i was talking with my friend about this the other day and i was like i mean other sports you have this difference between professional players and amateur players the you know the nba you got this deep three-point line the basketball is actually a little bit bigger than um some and then nfl the football is bigger obviously um there's there's all these little nuances in other sports that um, have a difference between professional and non-professional. So uh, it be interesting to see if PGA decides to go that way. But yeah, I'll I mean, be interested to see how it works out. I think there's too many governing bodies involved between the PGA of America, the USGA, the RNA. So I yeah. said the, the easiest and most fun way to kind of start this where nobody's going to get in trouble for putting rules in place is, I mean, there's one place that can govern themselves. And it's Augusta National. So imagine getting your invitation going, hey, we want to invite you to the 2021 Masters. But you're going to play this 1997 Max Fly Balata Ball. And if you don't, you can <laughs> the, old, the old Max Fly revolution. I'm telling you, like, who would, who would turn down a trip to the Masters because you didn't want to play the ball? So they'd have to learn how to play it and hit it and figure it out. And, but that's the ball that you play at the Masters. And, you know, because Augusta's not going to get in trouble for that. And if they do, you're, you know, I mean, who, who's going to yell at them? But if the USGA tries to put something through, the RNA puts something through, it's going to be, oh, hell, here we go. Like, they're trying again to – to squash the game and take all the fun out of it. But if Augusta does it, they're like, oh, this could be fun. So, I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it works out. That's a great idea. you got to get that up to some higher. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> keeps everybody else. I mean, the USJ would love it because now it's not – you know, it's out of their hands. Yeah. Yeah. And get back to Kalamar Kawa. I mean, number one, it's a shame none of us picked him. What the heck? <laughs> number two, it's a shame. Did you hear the story – he was trying to get a red shirt shipped out to him and yeah. uh, shipping apparently came into play and he couldn't, couldn't wear the red and black to support Tiger. Yeah. It would have been cool to see, you know, with all those other guys wearing red and black. I mean, everywhere. Phil was wearing red and black. Annika Sorensen was wearing black. Yeah. You had it on every single tour across the world and um, really cool to see that. And it would have been nice to have a guy wearing the uh, – wearing red and black with the trophy. You probably have an answer to this, though. I heard a lot of people, they were saying it was like a lot of them couldn't just go to their local Walmart, grab a red golf shirt because of the sponsors. Is that true or is it like – It is true. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, within reason, I'd say 90% of them, if you called your sponsors and said, hey, look, you know, here's what's going on. Everybody in the field's wearing red and black. Are you cool with me just throwing a different shirt on for one day? And if somehow I make a great, you know, have a great finish, do whatever. I'll make sure I name drop the hell out of you in the interviews or something like that. Most of the sponsors. Take a Sharpie and write it. It would be better for the company. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, you can find a way to make it work if you really wanted to make it work. Um, I know we've had a few of those weeks where I'd be out there and, you know, they'd surprise us with, Oh, it's uh, you know, breast cancer awareness Saturdays. Like everybody wears, everybody's wearing pink. I'm like, you could have told me that three weeks ago when I started packing for this trip, but, and then you go out and you find a pink shirt somewhere. That's funny. My player, Ryan O'Toole, just said the exact same thing today about the pink shirts. Yep. Yep. It is what it is. I mean, it's just they, you know, a lot of times they don't give you the warning. Sometimes the tour will give you a heads up like, hey, Saturday, Wells Fargo is going to be this or something like that. We'll bring yellow, bring, you know, red, bring pink. So at least you can pack a little bit and throw one of those yeah. shirts in there. It's almost like you yeah. almost now always have to pack like those three colors. <laughs> exactly. Just find some kind of cause and make sure you're covered. Yeah, and then uh, I guess I wanted to talk uh, – we can move on from this tournament. I mean, crazy tournament. Great to see Morikawa win. Loved his speech at the end. But, Reed, uh, I think you made your uh, big debut this week on the LPGA at the Gainbridge. Uh, let's hear how it went. Yeah, uh, first week on the bag for Ryan O'Toole. Um, that was after I flew out to Phoenix and spent some time with her there, kind of getting to see her game. Um, get used to how she plays, see her shots, shot shape, uh, whatever have you. Um, but, you know, a lot of positives to take from last week. Uh, 
we were third going into Saturday, struggled on Saturday, um, came back and had an okay round on Sunday and, uh, you know, had a top 25 finish. I think we finished T24, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, this girl can hit it, man. Um, she hits it solid. She hits it long. Um, and it's, uh, she puts in the work and it's only time before she wins. And I uh, truly, truly believe in her and we'll see what's to come. Your swing coach, Reed, is it uh, Jorge? It is correct. He is Karate, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, He's a great good? dude. What's that? How good is Jorge? He's he's good. He's good. he's just a good dude too, man. He's fun. He's um, I've, I've I've seen a lot of coaches and I've been around a lot of coaches, obviously, and myself playing. I've taken a lot of lessons, but he describes things and is able to simplify things easier and make things make sense quicker than I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, he uh, he used to be down here at TPC, so we became good friends just from. I was working with another instructor back in the day um, down there, but I'd always hang out with Jorge. We'd go out and grab beers from time to time. And um, one thing you got to be careful, you go out to the bars with him, just keep your distance. His cologne levels are off the charts. You can smell him coming before you see him. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mention that tomorrow. Cause I'll see you. Can him let him know that. Yep. You can let him know that. But That's no, funny. Jorge is one of my favorites, man. He's a really good dude. And uh, yeah, I miss seeing him around here now. And I think he's, is he still up at Liberty national? Correct. Yeah, but he's he's yeah. on. He has uh, three or four girls he works with on an LPGA. So, you know, he where he goes Monday to Thursday, and uh, you know, flies home for the weekend or does what he needs to do wherever, and then flies back. That and yada yada yada. No, good for him. Tell him where I said hello. Guys, where are you guys at next week? Well, uh, this week we're in uh, Ocala, uh, uh, Golden Ocala. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you know. It's funny because I played this golf course uh, for regionals a couple times in college. I went to UCF and uh, played for them, and um, it's it's a it's a cool track. It's different because the holes are there's some replica holes, and they yeah. kind of walk through an area where I like to call it some of the richest horse farms in the world. Um, you have bred here that are world renowned that win Kentucky Derbies, that win Belmont Stakes, that win Breeders Cups. Um, it's not all in Kentucky. A lot of it's in Ocala. It's pretty cool to be around. And myself following all the horses, it's a cool area to see. Yeah. And, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah. I also wanted to give a shout out to our guy, Joe. He, uh, he started a LPGA podcast that seems to be getting some good traction. It's called Girls Got Game for anyone interested. I know uh, there's not many LPGA podcasts out there, if any, and great to grow the game. You know, I'm out here in broadcasting school. We always get told you got to talk about LPGA golf because we got Brooke Henderson. She's like, yeah. Brooke Henderson is like the biggest draw for Canadian golf, men or women. Yep. Yeah. That's what we care about. Between but, Brooke uh, Henderson and Jeannie Bouchard, I don't know who is more famous up there, but I mean, there are, there are icons up there. Now Jeannie I, Bouchard's falling off the map because she can't play tennis. Yep. She's dating one of my boys from the Steelers, though, so she's starting to get her name back out there. That's that's a, maybe that's what get her back into relevance that's a different sure. i'll try not to get canceled but <laughs> <laughs> so this week uh we're, we're off to the arnold palmer invitational uh steve we'll give you the warning now if there's anything we're known for here it's that we like to put our guests on the spot when we don't tell them at all that we make a pick for each tournament okay. so we'll give you like the heads up now where you get like 30 seconds to brainstorm as to who you think will win Roy mcelroy oh wow right off that the easy wow. enough I'm really going out on a limb here. It's a big branch. I'm going way out on the end of it. I'm going to – That's one odds. You were ready. Like, Our uh, most popular answer for who they think is going to win is who's playing this week. But It's <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's such a good golf course, but if you drive it long and straight, it makes it so much easier. I mean, you can get to all the fives there um, where, you know, the, that 12th hole, for instance, I'm, I got bunkers everywhere. He, he doesn't see any of them. Um, and it's just – He's just so solid, man. He's he's won there before, and uh, it's it's kind of hard to go against him. I mean, Bryson, I think, is going to have a decent week, too, because he's got a little bit more room with the driver this week versus concession. Um, who else did I pick up? Not that I'm playing DraftKings or anything like that. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, I was going to say, I don't like how we podcast on Mondays now because I don't get a look at our own team's DraftKings, <laughs> DraftKings yeah. pool because – 
our guys are great. And I was always getting like guys in the top five whenever I was looking at that. I had a big week this week. I went Morikawa and Kepka in the lineup. Did you really? I was a That's sucker because nice I had Ustazen in the entire week and then swapped off of him to Bubba Watson. Oh, yeah. Very costly. I was going for the three-peat this week, and I ended up finishing second, so I didn't get the third win in a row. But it's been, I've been on fire this year. I've, I've cashed every week except for one. Wow, that's sick. It's been a nice, it's been a nice 2021 as far as DK is concerned. Love it. So, so you got Rory this week? Yeah, I'll take Rory. That's an easy one. All right. Uh, Nolan, we'll go to you. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very logical pick there. <laughs> um, you're right, man. Now that I think of it, I want to – I wanted to take uh, Tommy Fleetwood, um, but I feel like it does maybe lean towards someone who might drive it a little further. Um, you know, I want to go with Sam Burns. Why not? He uh, wow. he had a great week a couple weeks Raging ago. Cajun. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. 45 okay. to 1 odds he, there. Uh, I think he's around 45 to 1 to win this week. Yeah. Who's made the most birdies in Florida in the last three years? Sam Burns. Sun JM. Sun JM, yeah. Because well, he plays every single event. Of course he does. But he's been dominating the Bermuda grass. He had a good week last week. He finished top 15 or top 20 last week. Yeah, too. it was like a huge story that he took two weeks off. Yep. People were concerned for him and all. Yeah, he was rusty. Yeah. <laughs> Reed, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with a, uh, actually a product of the town I'm staying in this week, Gainesville, Florida, a uh, guy who had a good week last week, who has always kind of popped up now and again, that's Billy Horschel. It's a good pick. He runs hot. When he gets hot, he runs real hot. He's also, never, he's also never won in Florida, though. Yep. Yeah, but dude, it, it, he made a good point there. When, when he gets hot, when Horschel gets hot, he'll go on like five, yeah. six Five six week run where he just plays good and then he'll kind of fall off the map and then he'll show up again. I mean, the guy won a fucking FedEx Cup. Let's be real. Yeah, exactly. Doing and that, won, doing that exactly. Should have won the last three events too of that. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. I'm going with a guy. Uh, I'm going with another pretty easy pick here. Usually I go the long shots. This one I can't. This might be like. Remember when Patrick Reed came out and said he was a top five player in the world? This might be a hot take. But I am taking Victor Hovland, and I think he is a top five player in the world right now. Really? Wow. Victor Hovland has gone second, fifth, second, 31st, and first. In his last I got to bring up that. Did anyone see that pit, pit shot out of the hazard? Yes. Uh, dude, how, how creative was that? The fact that he got the speed, the weight on it, you know, the right distance on that chip to, like, settle it back close to the hole was incredible, too. What was it? Or was it just, like, a fucking hack? Yeah, a hack. (laughs) That's the difference. To your point early on in this conversation when you're talking about how good these guys are, when you look at a Max home at Riviera when he drives it up against a tree and he's dead and all of a sudden he has 10 feet for birdie, and then Victor Hovland gets it up and down when you're trying to figure out if he can get the ball clean or if he's going to whiff. Yeah, you know, it hits all, the that made no sense. Max Homa getting it out of there. I still there's some like Illuminati shit or something. We were talking about thing. that for so long. How how the heck he got that to like spin? Like he yeah. put a hook a hook chip on that. <laughs> but yeah, I hooked a lot of chips, and I mean it's fine. I mean I could have gotten that thing up there somewhere, but the fact that he got it running up the hill and then stopped it on the green pin high is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, granted, there's a lot of luck in that, but I mean that is. You know, you bring your scratch golfer from the local country club out there that thinks he can turn pro. He's not getting that thing within 60 feet of the flight. In though. a dang playoff, too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But uh, for me, the Victor Hovland, I think outside of Morikawa, he had the most to take away from last week. What was crazy was his quad on 18 on Saturday. Yeah. After it looked like he might be the guy to go win it. Not only that, he makes a 15-footer coming back for quad, which I feel like you don't see very often because at that point you're so heated. Who gives a shit that you're going to miss the 15-footer? He's not big. Almost can be. And then just make, has another incredible round on Sunday. Like, it's not a problem. Like, he doesn't yep. even care. I think I yep. saw him make that 15-footer, bef- like, right before they, like, put the graphic away that he was putting for quad. And I was like, oh, man, he's making another birdie or something like that. And then I saw what he made, and I was like, dang, he had that for a quad? Yep, yeah. incredible. <laughs> Dude can ball. He can flat out hit his golf ball. 
I remember him at uh, TPC Boston this past year in the second leg of the play. Sorry, the first leg of the playoffs. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, he shot 30 on the front nine. It was either 29 or 30. And it was the easiest 29 or 30 I've ever seen in my life. And that was the same week Dustin Johnson shot 28 or whatever. Remember when he was 10 under through 10 or 11 under yeah, through 11? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. it was like 70 shot on the front nine. Anyhow, uh, my point being that Victor Hovland, dude, uh, he, just watching him, he can, controls his emotions better than anyone I've ever seen. And being adding kind of being an outlier perspective of seeing it all, uh, dude, there's, there's nothing that compares to being able to control your emotions. And I think you can attest to that. Yep. You know what I always say about Victor, Zach? What do you think? The ladies love Victor. Oh, you do say that. The ladies <laughs> love Victor. So he's got that going for him, too. Victor Hovland, he was – I remember because the first PGA Tour event I covered was that Farmer's Insurance from two years ago I always talk about. And I, when I go to the putting green, there were two putting greens. There was one with, like, all the top pros playing. And then there was another one all the way to the side with just Victor Hovland. I think he might have even been an amateur still playing then, or maybe it was one of his first starts with his tiny little bag just going about his yeah. business. They used to have those uh, – there were two different grasses. One was the north course greens and one was the south course greens. Yeah. There was two different grasses. That's why, I mean, it was always – everybody's usually piled up on the south course green, but, yeah. I oh, didn't care. He'll do it no. either. No. But, uh, Nolan, I, I heard rumor around the street is that you saw a, a special car today. Yeah, man. I think it could have been like a, a Shelby or – Something of that nature. It looked really sick. That's all I know. Did it? Was it like custom design? It had to have been custom. It it was it was lights what, out. Was it a former car? Yes. Yes, Reed. Did uh, Chris Relia and former cars out in Columbus, Ohio, make it? A hundred percent. I think I talked to the guy. He said Chris, and I was like, yes, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. So Chris Relia and uh, his company, former cars, out in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they laser design all of their parts, all of their doors, all of their uh, windows. Uh, everything is laser designed, laser cut. Um, and they do anything replica of Cobras, Mustangs, anything old, uh, muscle cars. Check them out, formercars.com. Uh, Chris Relia and his team will design anything you want. Brilliant. We, we could transition there. I like the – Well, uh... <laughs> With that, I guess we get to end it with our favorite segment. Uh, we get some trivia here from Reed. Mm. Yeah, well, we're in Florida this week, so I kept it uh, Florida-based since both the LPGA and um, the PGA is in Orlando, and I was in Orlando last week, so I put up a little Orlando trivia for you. Uh, of the 100-plus lakes that are found in Orlando, what are most of them made of? A... Earthquakes, water, landslides. <laughs> I'm with you, Steve. <laughs> right. Hey, it's random shit. I love it. A, earthquakes causing landslides. B, sinkholes. C, meteorite impact. Or D, damned rivers being backed up. Jeez. What B, on earth? Sinkholes. Damned rivers being backed up. It, that, was too, that was too smart for you, Reed. No offense. <laughs> it's not like e superintendents getting mad and just flooding their courses or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> I'll go with Zach too. What do you What are you guys saying? The damned river. <laughs> damn something Stop being it. backed up. D D and he has B. All right. Uh, well, I got to tell you, the hosts of the show are wrong, and our guest is correct. Sinkholes have formed. Wow. Uh, Still got it. Still got Navy it. Lakes in Orlando. That's crazy when you actually think about it. Yeah. I was just running on the soft soil and hoping that was going to be right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. With water. That was the original. Water camera. was, I mean, it's kind of the obvious answer. Water was solid. Yeah. Water and fish. <laughs> Gators. <laughs> All right, Nolan. And to, to close things off, uh, every week we like to give a little tiger stat out there just to honor the goat. Yeah. Mine's just short, quick. Simple this week, Colin Markawa um, did something that, you know, no one's really done since Tiger Woods, and that's winning a golf 
major and a WGC at that young of age. Um, Before the age of 25. Yeah, prior to the age of 25. How, do you guys remember how old Tiger was when he um, collected both one of each? 20. Yeah, 21. 21. I'll go with 24 or 5 because I don't think the WGCs got started until way later. Steve's like, Steve's right. He's close. I think it's 23. He won in 99. He won the WGC. Um, so he obviously already had a major by then. Um, but, yeah, so that would have been 22 years ago, which puts him at 23. So. Didn't yeah. the uh... – didn't the WGCs used to be the NECs? Is that right? That's no. a great question, Reed. I don't know. There was an NEC at Firestone, but that was just the title sponsor of it. It had nothing to do with World Golf Championship. Gotcha. Okay. I just love for the WGC, whenever they'd show a graphic, it would be like uh, this player, like Morikawa now is a WGC, a major. Then it was like uh, Rory had three WGCs. And then it's like Tiger, 18 WGCs. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Stenson had like one of each. And then also yeah, it says exactly. 18 wins. Yeah, yeah, his Stenson WGC was, record is a is an anomaly of a stat. It's just obscene to even Stenson look at they it. just showed which one he won. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Stenson, to the last little point here, we saw him last week. He lives at Lake Nona. He came walking out of his house. We were playing in a practice round with one of the Swedes. And I later found out that Stenson bought a house in Lake Nona. And when they were about a lot, I should say, when they were building the house, an eagle's nest formed in one of the trees on his property. So he couldn't build there until the eagles left. So he just went and bought another house in the community until the eagles left and then moved into his, his original one. That's a power move. <laughs> Mind you, these houses are multi-millions. It's a power move. That's like Drake buying his neighbor's house because they were too loud. Yeah, right. Do you, th- do you think they'll put Stenson's notice. three wood in the like World Golf Hall of Fame? Or at least not last year. <laughs> yeah. I got a funny so story. story. So I played a U.S. Open local qualifier out there years ago. It's like an 02, 03, 04, something. I don't even remember what year it was. But there's a par five somewhere. It was on the back nine. And, and there's wherever Ernie Els lived. So anyway, we get up to the tee and there's a little commotion. And like the rules official comes over and he's like, hey, man, we just got a little issue up there in the fairway. Just hang out for a second. Okay, no big deal. We hit our balls up there. I'm like, what the hell is going on anyway? And they're like, sorry, all the groups were complaining that one of these houses was just going nuts and they were loud and obnoxious and screaming and yelling. And it turns out it was Ernie and his caddy. I was it Ricky back then, whoever it was. They had a bunch of guys. They'd been up all night drinking. They were slammed on the back porch, drinking out of the claret jug, and were just causing too much commotion for the guys trying to qualify for the US Open. <laughs> That's funny. Love that guy. That's amazing. Well, Steve, thanks so much uh, for making the time to come on. We really appreciate it. Had a great chat with you. And anytime you want to come back on, you shoot me a text and we'd love to have you. Beautiful. Thanks for having me on, boys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to From the Back Tees. Toward the hole. And it's in with 30. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information and updates, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at From the Back Tees. I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. See you next week. Be the ball, man.